140 years has taught us a thing or two. People are what matter most, and safety should never be compromised. That's why when it comes to you, your health, your home, and your business, we want you to feel protected. ADT is innovating for the future, and our future is looking smarter than ever. We are securing the connected world and working with new partners, products, and channels. Because what's smart if it isn't safe? Security is what we do. It's what we've always done. And now, we're developing the smart technology of today for your safest tomorrow. Welcome to ADT. We spun off from Tyco International, who was the parent company of this business, about three years ago. And you know, th for the last three years, I and the rest of my leadership team have been focused on how we take a 140-year-old company and position it so that we can continue to be the market leader uh, in our industry for the next 140 years. Uh, and it's been a very, very interesting journey. Uh, let me just you know, talk quickly about my background. I think Adrian covered most of this. I did my undergrad at Penn State as a mechanical engineer, actually worked as an engineer for about four years for Westinghouse in their defense electronics business, both two years in, in Baltimore uh, and two years I got the opportunity to work over overseas. Uh, after you know, four years at Westinghouse, I went back uh, here and got my MBA and, and then have been on a pretty interesting journey since then. I, I joined Booz Allen and spent four years in consulting. I was recruited away to go work for, for GE and spent a decade in GE. Worked, uh, did a couple corporate stints, but then also worked in their medical business and worked in their power business. So I got to live in some pretty interesting places like Schenectady, New York, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, so for those of you thinking about going to GE, uh, understand where all their locations are before you sign on to them. But I also got the opportunity to go work in Asia twice. Uh, and that was part of the GE culture, is if you weren't moving every couple years, uh, you felt like you were, be, that you were behind the, you know, the learning curve. So I think in my 10 years at GE, my family and I moved seven times including back and forth to Tokyo with nine months uh, in Milwaukee in between there. I'm not sure what was greater culture shock, moving to Tokyo or moving to Milwaukee, but that's probably a, a different a time for a different story. Uh, after working at, at, at GE for a decade, I got a call one day from a headhunter who was recruiting um, you know, a corporate uh, role to lead Six Sigma and operational excellence at Tyco International. Uh, and I'll put this in context. I'm sure Tyco could have been or should be uh, a bunch of case studies for, for Darden and other business schools. Tyco had gone through uh, what I think was an incredible phase in corporate governance. Uh, and 2003, when I was recruited there, was right after they brought in a new CEO. Ed Breen joined the company, I think, mid-2002. And, and he was basically part of the cleanup crew. Uh, and had the opportunity to meet Ed and talk to him about what he wanted to do at Tyco. And, you know, it was you know, really 
somewhat cleaning up the mess that Dennis Kozlowski and uh, the, you know, his management team had created there. But I had the opportunity to go look at the portfolio of companies that was part of Tyco. And the one thing I will say is Dennis and that former leadership team bought some incredible companies. Uh, one of what I thought was the crown jewels of the portfolio was the ADT business. Um, Back then, Tyco was about a $40 billion company. They were in healthcare, they were in electronics, they were in plastics, they were in fire and security, and engineered products and services. So there are five operating divisions. Uh, I joined Ed, uh, and, and Ed promised me I could stay in one location for three years. Uh, and that was really my only critical to quality, and my only CTQ is please don't make me move again in two years. I had kids who were in, I think, um, second grade and fourth grade at the time, and I really wanted to get them at least to high school, uh, and, and it worked out well. We ended up staying there for nine years. Uh, I had the opportunity to run two of the divisions for Ed in addition to doing some corporate staff roles. And then in about uh, 2011, you know, I got a phone call from Ed and said, you know, he said, well, I just want to let you know that uh, in the next couple weeks we're going to announce that we're going to be spinning off a couple of the businesses. We're going to spin off the flow control business and spin off the ADT residential business, the U.S and Canadian residential business and then keep the rest of Tyco under the Tyco brand. And he asked me if I was interested in becoming the CEO of the ADT business that was a piece of the portfolio that I was running. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those defining moments because, you know, when I saw how Ed spent his time, uh, there's a lot of external demands around, you know, the time you spend with investors and analysts and your shareholders uh, and, you know, and the board of directors. Uh, and I looked at it and said, well, that's not really what I want to spend my time doing. I really enjoy spending my time out in the business with either our customers, our employees, and, and managing the day-to-day -day business. But I figured I had spent, you know, 25-plus years preparing to be a public company CEO, uh, and I thought I'd be crazy uh, if I turned down the opportunity to do that and you know I'll tell you it's been probably the most exciting and most challenging you know four years since the announcement three years since we spun off at, at uh, from Tyco uh, ADT has an incredible history as you saw from that video ADT has been in the security industry or been in business for 140 years it is one of the most well-known brands clearly the most well-known brand in our space um, but we started out as actually a messenger business uh, it was a telegraph. ADT stood for American District Telegraph, and it was a messenger business. We'd get telegra uh, telegrams, uh, and we would actually have people on bicycles throughout New York City and other, you know, other cities across the country, and they would deliver those messages. It wasn't until about the 1940s that ADT got involved in security and started to sell and install security systems. And, you know, we, we, they spun off from, uh, it was part of AT&T for a while, they spun off, and then in 1990, Tyco International bought ADT and kind of built, uh, you know, from what was a U.S. business, this big global business, uh, and then, you know, we, we made the decision in, in early 2000s to spin the business off. Uh, and, you know, we, we truly are the market leader in the industry. 
Um, today, uh, ADT is about $3.5 billion of revenue. We've got about 6.5 million customers across the U.S. and Canada. Our second largest competitor has about a million customers. So we're more than six times the next, you know, next player in the industry. And after you get past the top four or five players in the industry, the industry is incredibly fragmented. So you have a lot of these local players who compete with us every single day, but not a lot of names that you recognize. Uh, so it's been a, you know, a, a real interesting ride. Uh, from an innovation perspective, which is what I want to talk about, ADT and the security industry has probably been one of the least innovative industries that I've ever seen in my life. In fact, if you go back before 2010 when we launched Pulse, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, um, the biggest innovation was moving from wired security systems to wireless security systems. So instead of having to drill holes all through your house, um, you know, we were able to put wireless sensors in there and connect them to a panel. So no real benefit to the customer. The benefit was all to ADT because it reduced the amount of time it took us to do an installation. I guess the benefit to the customer was we didn't have to drill all those holes. So not necessarily what I would view as an innovative company, an innovative industry. But back in 2010, about five years ago, we saw an opportunity. Uh, with changes in technology around mobile technology, specifically mo mobile broadband capabilities, with the changes in wireless communications protocols, there was an opportunity to integrate home security and home automation. And back in 2010, you know, ADT made the decision that we were going to go big into that space. We launched a product called ADT Pulse, which allowed you to integrate your security system with home automation so we could add in things like door locks, garage door openers, thermostats, light switches, and cameras. Uh, and our thinking at that time was that was going to drive the big explosion in the industry and, and take penetration rates up significantly. Uh, in 2010, just under one in five homes had a professionally installed, professionally monitored security system. So we as an industry were only serving about 20% of the market that we saw out there. 80% uh, of the people did not have a professionally installed, professionally monitored security system. And our, our viewpoint then, and whether it was out of igno ignorance or arrogance, I'm not sure, but was that those 80% of the people didn't really care about security. So when we made the decision to integrate home security and home automation, we thought that that was going to be the opportunity to take that penetration rate from 20% to 30%, possibly even 40%, and potentially you know, double the market uh, size that we, uh, that we served. So here we are five years later. I think we've gone from about 19% to 21% penetration. So we clearly you know, weren't completely right. That's not to say that Pulse wasn't an incredible success. Pulse has grown over five years to be a million and a half customers. Uh, so out of our six and a half million customers across the U.S. and Canada, a million and a half of them are Pulse customers. And that's from zero to a million and a half. And to put it into context, I talked about how fragmented the industry was. If Pulse was a standalone company, it would be the second largest security company in the industry. Uh, only behind ADT.
So we've ended up building within our company the second largest players, but it really didn't change the market dynamics and the market size. And, and we're now at a what I think is a new inflection point uh, for our business where we've got some new exciting opportunities as a result of, uh, again, changes in technology and what's happening from a connected home perspective. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the, all the Internet of Things and IoT devices and all of these home automation devices, whether it's the Nest thermostat, Ring video doorbell, uh, the Lowe's Iris system, you know, more and more people are buying these devices and we kind of have been watching what they're doing and it tends to be the 80% of the people who aren't buying professionally installed, professionally monitored security systems are buying these devices. And we said, well, we got to understand a little bit more about why they're buying these devices. So over the past year, uh, we've done some market research. And what we've learned is the top reason that they're buying these devices is security. About 60% of the purchasers said that they bought those devices so that they could you know, make their homes or their apartments or their dormitories um, you know, more secure. So we kind of took a step back and said, wait a second, it's not professionally monitored, so how can that be secure? Uh, and what people are looking at is the ability to be able to look into their home and see what's happening, look into their apartment. The ability to get an alert that says something is happening in, in my house or apartment or my residence that I need to understand. And, and of course, you know, from an ADT perspective, we said, you know, well, that's nice. It's better than having nothing. Uh, but it really isn't security because if you're not in a position where you can do something with that information, have you really made your home or your apartment safer? And, and what we're looking at now is how do we take all of those devices out there and add ADT monitoring services to those devices? And, you know, let, let me take a step back and talk a little bit about our business model. And, you know, that'll give you some context of why this is so exciting and, and, and such an you know, exciting opportunity for us. In our traditional business, we spend about $1,500 bringing on a new customer. So between the marketing expense of running all those expensive ads on TV to generate leads or phone calls, either people calling our call centers or coming to our website, plus the commissions that we pay our sales force, plus the cost of the hardware that we put in the home of the business and the cost of the labor uh, to install that hardware, net of what the customer pays us, we're out of pocket on day one, $1,500. So we have to charge our customers somewhere between $40 and $50 a month. We have to make our customers sign a three-year contract in order just to get the cash break even in three years. So we make our money in our business by keeping customers well beyond that three-year period. So when Adrian talked about how we're transforming our culture to be customer-obsessed and customer-focused, we have to be customer-obsessed. We have to be customer-focused because if I can't keep that customer beyond the initial contract period, uh, I don't make any money for my shareholders. What's exciting about this new business opportunity that we're seeing, that other 80%, you know, we learned that they care about security. What they didn't care about is paying $50 a month for service. What they didn't care about is signing a three, four, or five-year contract. Well, in our traditional business model, we had to charge that kind of price. We had to you know, sign up that kind of contract term because that was the only way we would make money. When we look at these new devices that are out there, the customer's willing to pay for that device. They're going to pay somewhere between $200 and $300 for a camera to put in their home or a video doorbell. 
if we can take that internet connection and that alarm event that today is going to their smartphone and send that same signal back to one of our monitoring centers, we can provide the same level of service, monitoring and response services, to all of those potential customers that we do to the, uh, the six and a half million customers that we saw today. And we can do it at a much lower price. My cost of acquisition of that new customer is going to be pretty close to zero. So I don't have to recover $1,500 of cost. As a result, I can probably offer that service at somewhere between $10 and $25 a month. Uh, and I can offer that service with no term contract and truly let customers go month to month. So we entered into a partnership with LG Electronics and Arthur and his team kind of led the co-development of a new product that we'll be getting ready to launch. Uh, and I'm going to scan ahead here significantly and kind of talk a little bit about this product. See all the slides I saved you guys from? <laughs> I'll come back to that one. But we, we launched, uh, or we will be launching in the next month this new product that we've uh, that, that we created with LG. Let me tell you a little bit about the product, and I'm going to show a quick video. So that device there has a camera in there. We see the smile that you had below. In there is a is a high definition camera, 153 degree angle lens. Uh, so it's a wide-angle lens. It's got video analytics, so that camera can be used as a motion detector. So if you're in an apartment, put that in the corner of the room. It's got a broad enough range. It's got infrared around it so it can see in the dark. Uh, and it's got that uh, um, video analytics so it can be used as a motion detector. If it detects motion, it can sound a siren. It's got a speaker built into it. And it's also got a hub that connects to Wi-Fi, ZigBee, Z-Wave, and Bluetooth. So connect that to your internet. Internet. It sends a signal to you via your smartphone. It also sends a signal back to ADT's monitoring center, and we can go through our normal dispatch you know, uh, operations and algorithms that we would go through. And if it's a verified event, we would dispatch the police there. Customer pays probably $200 to $220 for that product, uh, possibly 20 bucks a month for ADT monitoring, and we're now able to open up that new market. Uh, of course, our marketing team said that video is not enough sizzle for you, so we got a little bit more. Today, when it comes to securing your home, it's one way or the other. Sign on for the whole package with complete equipment installation, or take your chances with a DIY or the latest thing from the Internet of Things. But tech-savvy buyers don't want either or anymore. That's why ADT the leader in home security and automation has partnered with LG to bring them an all-in-one that's more in one. A sleek, high-tech device that's incredibly simple to set up, enabled by a new type of ADT service and experience. Introducing a new, no-install, monitored security solution with no fixed contract. Featuring streaming HD video with analytics and cloud storage, Integrated sensors to monitor the space and environment. Smart home automation control. Easy mobile app access. And ADT professional security monitoring. Control when you want it and trusted support when you need the peace of mind. When it comes to securing your home, there's no either or anymore. Introducing 
the future of smart security. So as part of this venture, we've learned what it means to be a consumer electronics company. You can see that coming fall of 2015, and if you look outside, you realize fall of 2015 has come and passed. Uh, we're actually going to be launching this next month at the Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, so we'll be launching in January. It'll be available in retail stores uh, in February. And again, uh, as I was five years ago, I'm optimistic that this will be the product or this will be the solution that starts to open up the other 80% uh, of the market that we have been unable to penetrate in the past. Uh, but the real story behind this is not the product itself or where we are. It's how did ADT come about innovating and becoming an innovative company uh, in order to be able to be in a position that we could launch a new product like that. And, and it really come, came down to four things as I look at it. You know, the first is we had to make a commitment and understanding that innovation was important for our company. When we launched the new company, you know, we put our mission statement out there, but we had to determine what the four, you know, the key values were going to be for our company. And three of them were very easy to come out with. The first one for us is trust. Uh, we have a brand that's built on trust. When you're in the life safety industry, you know, your customers have to trust you. You have to be able to earn their trust every single day. You know, the second was around service. We're a service business. We don't sell products per se. We sell peace of mind. We sell the services that are around a, a variety of different products. The third one is around collaboration. Internally, we have to have very good handoffs between the marketing teams to the sales team to the installation team to our service and monitoring to our billing team in order to create a great customer experience so the customers will stay with us. You, you have to have that great collaboration and, and teamwork within the business. And, and we talked long and hard about whether or not innovation should be one of our core values. Uh, and we looked at it and said, well, we haven't had an innovative past. Uh, I think with the Pulse offering, you know, at least we demonstrated a capability, but we felt in order to get our employees engaged, we had to commit to being an innovative company. So we made innovation one of our four key values in the corporation. Uh, the second one is you've got to resource it. Uh, when, we, you know, when we decided to become a standalone company and we built the organization design, we said we need a chief innovation officer. We were able to recruit Arthur to come join us. Arthur has a long career in the cable industries. He's been you know, involved with some joint ventures that supported the cable industry. Uh, he's done startups in his past. And as we interviewed potential candidates, Arthur was the one person that I recall you know, who was just really able to see around corners. He, he talked about what the security industry could look like uh, you know, and, and, and as a result we brought Arthur on board but Arthur alone wasn't enough we gave Arthur the opportunity to build a small team but we also told him that you need to find a way to engage the entire organization so under Arthur's leadership we actually launched quarterly innovation projects uh, you know, as a way to get all of our employees into the game. And, you know, these were kind of, in essence, quarterly startups where he'd take about eight to ten people from across the organization, give them a business problem to solve, uh, and then, you know, have them work together, not in lieu of their day jobs, but in addition to their day jobs. And I'll tell you, the number of people who volunteered to be part of those projects was incredible, and they really came up with some great ideas for us. Um, the first team he put together came up with a mobile solution. So when Arthur joined us, I, I told him, I said, I want you to spend about 50% of your time 
learning our business, learning our industry. You've never you've been in the security industry, so come learn what we do. Um, but I want you to spend the other 50% of your time figuring out how you would destroy ADT if you were you know, launching a startup today. And Arthur pulled together a team of people, and this was kind of really the first innovation people, and he kind of secluded them in our boardroom. And you started to hear, you know, laughter and noise coming out of there. And that's not what my board meetings sound like when they're in that boardroom. But, you know, he came back to me about probably about four months later with just a smartphone and an app on his smartphone. And it was a product uh, that was called, uh, that they designed, that was called Chaperone. It was, a, it was a bigger product called Canopy, and what it was, it was a family tracking software. So you could enroll your family members. It uses the location-based services of your phone, and you can track where your family member's on. It also had, in essence, a panic button on there called Chaperone. So if you hit the Chaperone button, you would connect to one of ADT's monitoring centers, be able to talk to a rep in our monitoring center, and if you were in trouble, they would be able to track exactly where you are, and similarly to how we you know, d uh, dispatch the police to, uh, you know, to uh, a home, they would be able to dispatch the police to wherever, wherever that location was. And I kind of looked at it and said, yeah, Arthur, that's really cool, but don't forget to do what I asked you to do. How would you destroy ADT? And, you know, of course, when I gave him that task, I was thinking about, well, we eliminate all of our monitoring centers. Signals go from the sensors in your home straight to the cloud, and it just eliminates a lot of cost. Or maybe we go nanotechnology and change all the sensors in the home, and I can do the same sensing you know, through two or three sensors instead of the hundreds of sensors. Uh, and he probably had to come to my office about four times to explain this to me uh, about what he was talking about. And the answer was the, the, the definition of security is changing. Security isn't just about the premise. Security is wherever you are. And the one device that is always with you for the most part these days is your smartphone. So if we can provide security on the smartphone, it may not kill the ADT of today, but five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, this could be the business that we build. Now, you know, it, it was a great story. And you know, it was a, a, a tremendous app. I have to talk about the good and the bad with this. Uh, when they first put it on my phone, it was burning up my battery about halfway through the day because it was location-based services. It was pinging me on a constant basis there. And I went back to Arthur's team and said, okay, well, what do I do? They said, well, if you plug it in, you know, that'll take care of the problem. I said, plug it in mobile phone. Something's not right here. Fortunately, uh, through the next piece of our innovation, and this is to find partners and find ways to expose the company uh, to different innovations, Arthur and his team have set up a partnership with a company called Runway out in the San Francisco area. Runway is a, it's an incubator, but it's, I'd say they're a non-traditional incubator. Uh, they've got probably about 80 different companies who have uh, kind of channeled through their uh, startups, share footprint, but share collaboration. What we partnered with them on is to scour all of what's going on in Silicon Valley. And Arthur and I and a few other of my uh, leadership team go out there on a quarterly basis, and they introduce us to a bunch of different startups who have technologies that could be relevant in the space that we compete in. 
So all of a sudden, instead of having our own presence in Silicon Valley, we now have a representative there who is on the lookout every single day. Well, one of the companies they, they brought us to is a company called Life360. Life360 had a similar app without the chaperone feature, and they had done a real nice job uh, on the location tracking, so using the gyrometer and, and accelerometers in the phone. So instead of you know, pinging you every few seconds, they're pinging you only when you, you know, they detect that you've moved from one location to another. So now we're partnering with them. We've made an equity investment in them, and we've been able to make some other, uh, you know, uh, some other investments in there in those kinds of companies. So, you know, one is determine it's important to you. Two is bring in some talent that has the skills, the capabilities. Three is find a way to engage the entire organization. And four for us was find a way to get our senior management exposure to what all is going on uh, in, in the industry so that we can become aware of that. So with that, I'm going to stop and kind of talk a little bit about what's on your guys' minds because I've spent probably more time talking about ADT and our company and not, probably not as much time about what you guys want to talk about. So what's on your guys' minds? Yes. Oh, got to get you the microphone. Uh, thank you for coming here. Um, one of my concerns when I was, or, or questions that I have when I was looking at you, you're trying to capture that 80% that's not currently buying your systems. Um, could, do you think that that's potentially for a portion of that 80% due to privacy concerns? Um, I, I think that's a great question. And, you know, as we look at our solutions, Privacy and security are really at the center of, of what we're design, you know, that what we're designing. Um, I, I, I think it's uncertain right now. When I look at what kind of the millennial generation, what they're willing to put out on Facebook as to what's going on, the amount of information people are willing to share, I don't know what the right answer is. You know, what we do is we make sure that all the data that we collect is only used for the customer. We do not sell any of the data to third parties, and that data is really owned by our customers, and we will only use it on their behalf. And, and that's also been important for us as we identify potential partners. Uh, part of the reason we partnered with Nest is they had a shared philosophy uh, that we did, which candidly is very different from Google. Uh, and as you guys may remember, when Nest, you know, you know, when they launched their thermostat or they got bought by Google, the big fear was that you know they're going to have all this information about what's going on in your home. Google's going to take that and they're going to use that to market to you. Uh, Tony Fidel at, at, at Nest has a very rigid. Uh, data privacy policy and data ownership policy that is completely compatible with ours. So I, I think it, it is a potential concern, uh, and where we try to, you know, again, it goes back to our value of trust. Uh, we make sure that our customers understand that they own the data, that we're only going to use it to make their experience better or to help them drive value. You're going to get a workout, Adrian. <laughs> So you spend a lot of time talking about home security. So could you tell a little bit about home automation, autom automation, um, automation? How could I say it? Sorry. Automation. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, w when you look at the home automation craze right now, uh, it's it's about it, it, to me, it's a reflection of consumer behavior. You have consumers nowadays with smartphones who are always on and always want to be connected. So, so consumers want to know what's going on 
in their homes. They want to be able to not just observe their homes, but they want to be able to manage their homes. And that was why we really made the decision five years ago to add home automation to our home security platform. So today within the Pulse platform, you can not only just remotely arm and disarm your system, but you can get alerts sent to your smartphone about events that happen or events that don't happen. So if you have kids who are school-age kids, uh, you, know, you can get an alert to say if the front door has opened between 2, uh, 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Or when you get to 3 p.m., if the door hasn't opened, it can send you an alert saying you expected this to happen and it didn't. But we can also add in other devices. We can add in light switches. We can add in thermostats. We have garage door openers. We've got... Uh, we will soon be adding uh, video doorbells. We've got cameras. And we do that, one, to give people access to home automation, but two, is to strengthen the value proposition around security and, uh, and life safety. And I'll give you a couple examples. When you take a, a smoke detector and, and tie in a thermostat, if you, get, if you detect smoke in the home, you want to shut off the HVAC system so you're not pumping smoke throughout the house. So we have the ability to tie those things together and create those automations. Similarly, if there's any kind of security or life safety event you might want to, you know, that, that would require you to get out of the house, you might want to light a path for your family to get out of the house. So you tie it in with light switches. So if there's an alarm event, you can you know, light the hallway, you know, put the hallway lights on and give people a clear accessible path to get out of the house. Uh, another example that we use in our home, if there's any kind of alarm event, all of my cameras will record a 30-second video clip, and I'll get those sent to my you know, cell phone. So if I'm not home and there's an alarm event in my house, I've got five cameras, I get five clips so I can quickly go through and see what's happening, and I get those real-time without the delay that you know, is required by code and the security system. So by the time ADT calls me, I've had the opportunity to at least look at some of those videos to say, is this a real alarm event or not, and then they can dispatch accordingly. So you know, for ADT, we're looking at how we tie those events together to make your home safer, but you also have the ability you know, to just, do, just use the home automation capabilities. You can schedule lights, you know, a lot of the other capabilities that, that exist today. And what we've done under Arthur's leadership is we've opened up our ecosystem. Uh, that's what allowed us to add you know, products like Nest to that. And we now have an open architecture uh, so that we can bring more easily bring in new products as they're developed and make them part of the, the ecosystem. You know, prior to us uh, offering Nest, we had a smart thermostat, but it wasn't a learning thermostat. So you could adjust your temperature up and down. You could set schedules, but it wasn't really learning. So if a customer wanted Nest's thermostat, you know, we couldn't offer it to them. We had to offer an alternative. Now that we can add Nest in there, they get the best of both. Now, the integration with ADT is a basic integration. The, the, the learning capabilities sit within the Nest app and within the Nest ecosystem, but at least they're now completely compatible so you can use them together. Uh, yeah, so... I'm thinking about as you guys move away from professional installations, now it's, you know, partnering with, you know, equipment manuf or manufacturers of these products. And um, that then sort of moves you into a business that's predominantly analytics and monitoring, uh, monitoring through the cloud. And, and so on, I guess you still have a staff team that, that is monitoring it uh, in real time. Um, but where does that place you sort of, 
competitively, you know, how does a competitor not come in and just say, you know what, cloud is cheap, it's inexpensive, I can build up some sort of center here and then replicate what you guys are doing. So, you know, what's, what, why would a, two, two questions sort of, what's the advantage that you guys offer and why do um, product manufacturers like LG want to partner with you as opposed to some low cost provider that they can find or even, you know, outsource somewhere? Yeah, you know, great questions. I, I mean, part of, of, of you know, developing your strategy is understanding what your core competencies are and, and how you differentiate for yourself in the market. When I look at what I think ADT's core competencies and capabilities are and valued assets are, first and foremost, it's that brand. The ADT brand is the most recognized brand in the security industry. We have more than two times the brand awareness of the next player in the industry. When it comes to consideration, we're more than three times, and 60% of our existing customers never even considered buying from anybody else. So just some stats around how valuable that brand is. And most companies want to be associated with a brand that is that powerful in the security and life safety space. The other piece we have is that monitoring infrastructure. We've got six fully redundant UL certified monitoring centers across the U.S. and Canada uh, that are staffed 7 by 24. They're fully redundant. Uh, so if when an alarm event comes in, uh, you have the confidence that that alarm event uh, will, be, will be received and will be acted upon. Uh, and most people don't want to go out and build that kind of infrastructure. I'd say the third piece is, that, is those relationships with the responders. You know, they, when, when, you, when you think about police, fire department, and EA, EMT responders, um, you know, they're, they're very local. You know, it's a local fire department. ADT, because of our heritage business, because of that six and a half million customers that we already have, has relationships with all of those local providers or those local response organizations such that when they get a call from an ADT monitoring center, they are going to respond. Uh, we've seen, you know, technology solutions. Arthur and I were at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show last year, and there was a company out of China that you know, basically said, we're going to tie this directly to 911. So if there's an event in your home, it'll call 911. The reality is the police department, fire department, EMTs, they don't want to respond to those. Uh, false alarms are a big issue in our industry. Over 95% uh, of the alarm events uh, are false alarms. If those were all going directly to the fire department or the police department or the EMTs, their costs would go through the roof or they would adopt uh, you know, new policies of our non-response. Uh, they know that when those, center, you know, those signals come into our centers, we're going to go through a protocol. In some cases, that's verifying through dual technology. Was there a door and window contact breach plus a motion detector? So we'll be able to be able to match two signals together, or we'll go through the call list to, ver you know, to verify. In some cases, we might have to have visual verification, and we're you know, looking at ways to leverage video or even motion detectors and you know, using different technologies. So it, it's really about understanding what our you know, strengths are, other capabilities are, and then finding the right partners who can leverage those and, and partner with us. No. My question was a bit related to that. And you said, given what you described, it looks like customer experience is one of the biggest drivers for your success and brand is critical to you. But when it comes to partnering with other uh, 
companies which own the physical product who owns the customer here uh, is it you or is it the uh, physical product owners uh, manufacturers who own that customer and who defines that experience yeah, great because there might be an issue where it malfunctions and the blame lies on ADT that it didn't function yeah. and the other bit of it is uh, when you're looking to expand to the 80% that you haven't captured yet if you rely on these manufacturers you're in a way relying on the adoption of their products to break into that market so why not go out and invest in the startups that are building like Nest instead of Google buying Nest why not ADT partner directly with Nest and you know uh, bring them in house why not that strategy so let me let me go with with the first yeah the first piece uh, first around that customer experience and and ownership of the customer that is absolutely critical to us uh, we only make money if they you know, sign up for monitoring services on that device. So if I look at that LG device, for example, LG makes money when they sell the device, whether it's on Best Buy, on their website, or, or Amazon, you know, they'll make money off the device. We only make money if they decide they're gonna sign up for monitoring services on that. So we have to own that customer experience. And you know, there will be certain occasions where we will have shared ownership of the customer. Uh, there are some product manufacturers out there who offer other ancillary services uh, and we'll, we'll bundle with them. I think the rules that we put in place is we will not white label our services. They will all be monitored by ADT uh, because we don't want to become commoditized from a monitoring perspective. You know, we, did, we have differentiated services and capabilities, but ADT has to own that customer experience. Now, you know, for most of those devices, so for example, the LG device, we actually developed the app that you will use to, to manage the device. Now the app itself will be Cobra. The device itself has the, the LG logo on it, so it's, a, it's an LG product. The app is a jointly developed or jointly branded ADT Canopy uh, LG app, and so we'll be all over that, and that's where the user experience is going to be in that interface. Um, as far as you know, the partnerships and making investments in partners, you know, we have made some uh, you know investments in potential partners. We made some minority equity investments. Uh, the reason we didn't buy Nest is we didn't have 3.2 billion dollars. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, Google paid a very, very uh, healthy price uh, for that acquisition. And, but part of the reason for us is I, I want to be somewhat product agnostic uh, because there's so many different devices out there. So, for example, smoke detectors. Uh, you know, there, there are three or four or five different smoke detectors manufa uh, manufacturers, all of whom are moving to a smoke detector that ties into the Wi-Fi. Uh, I'm not sure that I should care which they are. I care that it's a good product, to your point earlier, because if something goes wrong, it could be my brand that gets tarnished. So Arthur and his team, our IT team, uh, we are testing every one of those products in the lab, not just for the quality of the product, but for the reliability of the signal coming to our monitoring center. And we will not approve them or offer ADT monitoring services until we have that confidence. But if you really want to penetrate, maximize the penetration uh, across that 80%, um, I think we've got to offer our services on, on as many high-quality quality devices as we can. And, and you know, we had some interesting discussions with our board around that, particularly around this LG product. And we had to find a good analogy for them. You know, the analogy we use is HBO. You can get HBO on any TV. You can get HBO you know, with any service provider. And we had to walk our board through that. They said, well, you know, why aren't you putting the ADT logo on that device? 
I said, well, it's not, you know, it's, HBO doesn't put you know, their logo on every TV that's sold. And they said, but when you turn the TV on, you see HBO. When you turn that device on, when you power it up through the app, you will see ADT there. So we want to be you know, a service provider on as many different devices as possible. You mentioned hello. You mentioned early on um, that you were hesitant about accepting the CEO position because it was a, a public company, and you were worried that you would be spending more time with investor relations and sort of the public market scrutiny. How do you allocate your time, and how do you manage your time so that you spend as much of it on the stuff that you obviously care more about, which is you know the tech stuff and, and yeah. innovation. Well, no, it's, it, it's a great question. I would say the biggest challenge as CEO is time management. The demands on my time are incredible, and you have to be very disciplined, uh, and you have to have a great executive assistant who can say no on your behalf very, very often. Uh, I, I still do spend much more time than I ever dreamed I would and, you know, dreamed that I wanted to with analysts and investors. And, you know, as a public company CEO, that's my job. My job is to sell our stock, uh, which means I have to make sure, you know, meet with the analysts to make sure that they understand our business, they understand what we're focused on, and as a result, uh, you know, are telling our story to potential investors. I have to meet with our investors to make sure that they have the confidence, not just in me, but the confidence in me and my management team and the strategy that we're pursuing. So when I look at how I spend my day and where I allocate my time, uh, I have to spend, you know, I'd say about a third of my time uh, with external constituencies, uh, whether it's the board, uh, investors or analysts, a third of my time on talent and a third of my time on strategy. So hopefully I do get to spend you know, two-thirds of my time on the business and one-third on the other stuff. And, yeah, but, it, but it is the biggest challenge. You've got to learn to say no. Uh, You've got to learn to delegate. Uh, and you've got to build a great team around you. And you know, I said there was a chart in there that I would come back to. What allows me to achieve any success is having that great team around me and team that, you know, you know we, we all talk about the sign of a leader is, or, or what makes a great leader is surrounding yourself with, t with people who are better than you are. Uh, that's a very intimidating thing to do. Uh, to find people who are truly better than you and, and then trust them to make the right decisions. And uh, I've been blessed that we've been able to recruit some incredible talent to come to ADT. Part of it is the brand. Uh, part of it is we've got a noble cause and we help save lives for a living. Uh, and we, you know, we, we celebrate those with our Lifesaver Awards. Uh, but you know, having those great people allows me to spend the time where I have to uh, versus where I want to sometimes. Uh, my question is kind of on a similar line as Tim's over there, but uh, when you took on the new role as CEO, you know, it was a big change for you. So can you walk us a little bit between uh, the first 60, 90 days, how you actually learned to take on that role and what you did to prepare yourself? Um, I don't think I could have ever been prepared for my first 60 days. I don't know how much you guys know about the ADT story. We spun off from Tyco, um, I think it was September 29th of 2014. Or 2000, excuse me, 2012. Um, probably three weeks into my tenure, I got a call from my head of investor relations saying there's an activist uh, investor who wants to get some time with you. 
And I said, okay, this is going to be interesting. I said, well, we're in a quiet period. We had closed out our quarter. We hadn't reported. It was going to be another 30 days before we reported. So I said, well, tell them we're in a quiet period. I can't meet with them right now. But as soon as we report our quarterly earnings, uh, I will you know, go ahead and you know, meet with them then. Uh, clearly, he wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, and, you know, you start looking at the history. This was a guy who was a former uh, deputy under Carl Icahn. Uh, and you know, finally, we agreed to meet with them, myself, my CFO, our head of investor relations. But we told him it would have to be in a listen-only mode. I said, I can't tell you what's going on in the company. As a public company CEO, when you're in a quiet period, you know, you can't, you can't make any new public statements because we haven't reported our earnings. So he came and met with us, had an 80-page presentation on ADT. Um, and, you know, I didn't have to worry about it being listen-only because he wasn't going to let me talk anyway. So he went through and had an 80-page presentation, told us all the wonderful things about ADT, but there was one thing he didn't like, and that was our capital structure. And he said, your capital structure is indefensible. With a high recurring revenue business like yours, you should have a lot more debt uh, on your books, and you should take, you know, go raise a bunch of debt and you know, use that capital to either grow your business or you know, buy back shares. Clearly, he wanted us to buy back shares uh, because that you know, gives you a little bit of a lift in your stock price, and that was, you know, that's kind of the activist mind. So in my first 30 days, um, I'm dealing with the separation from Tyco. Uh, while we announced the separation and we you know, op started operating as two separate companies, we still had shared IT systems. We still had shared facilities. Uh, we were truly untangling the two companies for the next two years. And then I have an activist shareholder in the mix. And, you know, uh, we spent, you know, we ultimately decided to bring him onto our board of directors uh, because my belief was I'd rather have him making noise inside the boardroom than having making noise outside uh, in the public markets creating you know, distraction for us. We spent a lot more time uh, talking about capital structure and capital allocation than how we get new customers and how we keep the customers we have. So it was interesting. How, how do you prepare for that? Um, I don't know that you ever can prepare for some of that. I mean, I was, I was, I benefited. I did participate in a program, uh, you know, with a group called G100, which is a group of kind of a hundred or so CEOs, public company and private company CEOs. They created a program called Next Generation Leadership, which was a program really designed for you know CEO, those who are becoming ready to become a CEO. And fortunately, Ed Breen had the foresight to send me into that program, uh, and one of the sessions I remember is what do you do when you get that call from an activist shareholder uh, so I, I was somewhat prepared uh, but you know we went through and we knew where the risks were what he highlighted to us was nothing that you know we didn't know we were gonna have to talk about I just thought that I would have more than you know 30 days to resolve that issue I thought you know it was something we had told our board that at some point in time we're gonna have to figure out the right capital structure for our business but our plan was to go through a strategic planning cycle first not deal with it right away so, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that you're ever ready. I, I think the best advice is have a network of people that you trust. I mean, when I got that phone call, the first call I made to Ed Breen was, like, Ed, what did you sell me here now? I, said, I know. I said, Ed, what would you do? And I've gotten to know several other CEOs who I could pick up the phone and call and who I call and talk to on a regular basis. So that network, whether it's a network you build here at Darden uh, or network that you build throughout the rest of your career, that network's incredibly valuable to you. Thank you for 
sharing your amazing experience. I also have a question about more about your personal life as in the role of a CEO. Can you share with us what was the hardest decision you have ever made? What was the hardest negotiation you ever have? And probably what, does, what is your biggest regret in your whole career? Wow. <laughs> we could be here for a while if I got to talk about all my regrets. Um, you know, the biggest decisions or the toughest decisions for me are not around strategy, it's around people. And I'll give you a specific one, and uh, Laura and Arthur know this person, so I'm not going to spend You know, when, when we spun off, I went outside and recruited a new chief marketing officer. Uh, and he was a significant upgrade of, over what we had and, you know, was really solid for the first year in the job. Second year in the job, we faced some challenges, and I was concerned that he wasn't moving fast enough. Uh, he wasn't upgrading his team as aggressively enough. And, and finally, I had to make the, you know, the tough call to say, and this is a person that I hired, that I brought into the company. You know, I had to make the tough call to say, you know what, um, I, I think we will both be better off uh, if we part ways. And, and you know, that's one example of that. But I think the tough decisions are always the personnel decisions because, you know, when I recruit a person, I'm not just recruiting them to come to ADT. Uh, I'm recruiting them to come join my team and, and be part of my team. And I feel a tremendous level of loyalty to that person, and I hopefully get that same level of loyalty in return. Uh, but in the end, my responsibility is to the shareholders and, and to my board of directors as representatives of the shareholders. So I've got to make the tough calls on people. I can't afford to let things drag out too long. Uh, so I would say all of my tough decisions, not just you know in the, as I become a CEO, but uh, in my career, have been around people, and it's been the decisions of when is the right time to say you know what it's just not working out. Uh, so so that would be the toughest one. The toughest negotiation, um, you know, I don't do a lot of we don't have a lot of customer negotiations because most of our customers are individual households. We have standard terms and conditions. Uh, we've got long-lasting relationships with our product partners. Uh, I would say one of the tougher negotiations was probably our discussions uh, with Nest, actually, um, and and part of it was around data ownership. You know, they, they you know they were. They were the darling of the industry, and they gave us their standard term sheet and said, here, sign this. And, you know, in their term sheet was any data that went across their APIs, they would own, and we would only have the rights to use it for 10 days, I think it was, after that. And I'm looking at it saying, wait a second, I'm going to send you data from motion detectors throughout the house and other sensors throughout the house, and it, just because I run it through your API, you know, that means now you own that data. I said, I need that data in order to make that customer's home safer uh, and, and to make their system better, and we refused to sign that. And we you know, went back and forth with Nest for probably a year before we were able to finally get an agreement. I think over that year, you know, they started to understand the value proposition you know, of what ADT brought to them, so they were able to soften their position. But those are, are tough, you know, they're tough negotiations, tough discussions, and unlike like most of the people that they were dealing with, we weren't willing to just sign, you know, kind of the standard form. Um, the biggest regret, was that the, the third part of it? Boy. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you maybe the biggest mistake 
I made in my career. Maybe that'll give you the context. Uh, I was I, I had the opportunity at GE to get my first P&L. Yeah, responsibility. I'd done functional roles after coming out of consulting, ran marketing, ran IT. Uh, finally, Bob Nardelli, who was the head of the power systems business, uh, allowed me to run the parts and service business. It was a billion dollar P&L, uh, very profitable business. Um, and, you know, it, it, I was running that business at a time where they were in a down cycle on the equipment business. So not only was this a very profitable business, but it was the only business he had at that time that was making profits. Um, Bob came to me and said, Narain, you know, I need you guys to go find out uh, or to go figure out how you can, you know, give me $20 million more profitability. And, you know, in a short term, he was talking about the only way to do it was to cut costs. Uh, and the only place that we really had discretionary costs was in technology investments. It was the new R&D we were doing to build, you know, the future upgrade you know, products for the next several years. Uh, and I thought that was a horrible decision. To, you know, to, I thought it was very short-sighted there, and I'll remember this for the rest of my life. I put together a presentation that did exactly what he asked me to do, and I was young and I was naive and I thought I was really smart. At the very end of the presentation, I wrote one line at the bottom of my takeaway box was, harvesting a growth, a growth business. Um, Bob didn't think too highly of that comment, and I could just see him flipping ahead in the deck, and he got to that. I could see him Xing it out and everything, and I could look over. You know, he, he, he crossed out the harvesting and, and changed it to managing. Uh, and and you know, the mistake I made was not whether I was right or Bob was right. It, it, it was irrelevant. Uh, the mistake I made was taking on the CEO in a forum that had probably 20 people around the table that really questioned his authority. And while that was never my intent, uh, my, uh, the way I handled it was absolutely wrong. Uh, Bob and I had a tough relationship after that. Fortunately, now he and I are good friends and we have a very good relationship, but it was a, it was a tough lesson. And what I learned from that is two things. One is if you have an issue with your boss or your boss's boss, you deal with those issues one-on-one -on -one behind closed doors. You don't deal with those issues in a public forum. And two is never assume that you have the same context that they have. Uh, I had no clue what was going on in the other business units and what kind of pressure Bob was getting from Jack Welch. And, and so I saw my little piece of the pie, and that was the world that I lived in. And my decision may have been right in my world, but in the broader picture, Bob was clearly right because he had perspective that I didn't have. Uh, so I've learned, and as I coach people, even my own employees, saying, you have an issue with me, I want to hear it but I want to hear it one-on-one -on -one in my office. I don't want us to have debates in public. So, one example, I could probably give you 50 examples of things I wish I would have done differently. Thank you so much, this has been wonderful. It looks like we're about out of time, but we'd like to present you with a small token oh, of appreciation and Adrian. a final round of applause. Thank you very much.